Why pay your hard-earned money to join an organization that fought tooth and nail for a government-run health care system, one that scripted portions of White House speeches behind closed doors to ensure the passage of the Affordable Care Act, the organization that stood against tax cuts for middle-class Americans and small business owners? You know, that's AARP. Join AMAC instead, the conservative alternative. AMAC offers the same kinds of money-saving benefits of AARP without the liberal agenda. Become an AMAC member right now at amac.us slash buck. AMAC fights for your values, protecting our borders by enforcing common sense immigration laws, supporting small business, and standing up for your individual God-given freedoms. AMAC is the way to go. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America. You are entering the Freedom Hut. Pelosi gets grounded. Apparently, she's on Trump's personal no-fly list. What does this mean about how this shutdown is going to end, if it's going to end anytime soon, and who's going to come out the winner? Plus, a supposed bombshell in BuzzFeed that's going to take down this presidency. Should we be concerned? Is any of it true? Here's a hint. Probably not, but that and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. While many Democrats in the House and Senate would like to make a deal... Speaker Pelosi will not let them negotiate. The party has been hijacked by the open borders fringe within the party. The radical left becoming the radical Democrats. Hopefully, Democrat lawmakers will step forward to do what is right for our country. And what's right for our country is border security. Welcome to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. We are still in the midst of the shutdown, and Trump is absolutely spot on here. The Democratic Party has been hijacked by the open borders fringe within it. This is the case. And we are seeing this now more than ever before because the Democrats' only argument they can really offer up here is... Look at how painful the shutdown is. Look at, look at how painful the shutdowns become. It's so terrible. It's so mean. Look what Trump is doing. He's so mean. Well, why is he doing it? He wants money to build barriers and additional border security. Why is that so hard, Democrats? It's not a lot of money. It's 0.01% of the budget. What's really the problem here? What's really the issue? And it is that the Democrats, first and foremost refuse to give President Trump the political victory of following through on the central promise of his presidential campaign because they know that that will make him nearly unstoppable in the 2020 election. Though I'd note they think they're going to stop him through non-electoral means. They're going to try to impeach him and remove him and prosecute him and all these other things, and we will get to that. 
during the show today. Uh, but this is really simple. The other part of this is that Democrats also just are a far left party now on immigration and on the border. I, I never hear Democrats explain why is it that we should have border security? What's really the problem? You know, they say that the, the ports of entry are the only places drugs come in. Meanwhile, I think today I just saw a friend at the Washington Examiner uh, share that he was doing a essentially what I did in San Diego. He was doing in Texas and they see 700 pounds of cocaine today and, and one and one seizure at the border and not at a port of entry out in an open field. Somebody coming in on a pickup truck. So start with that. But why do why do Democrats say that they they want border security when there's nobody who's coming into the country that they're willing to say once they're here, they should not be allowed to stay? I mean, how close to being an open borders party can they be before we call them that? Or before we at least say, before we're at least willing to say that they have turned into a party that does not believe in border security. Uh, they want to be essentially a turnstile for whoever wants to show up. Yeah, you have to stop, get in line, and then you come through. But it's really just for reasons of, of government management, taxation, and more to the point with legal aliens lining up people who are going to need public benefits and therefore who are going to be likely to vote for the party of the welfare state, which is the Democratic Party. That, that's what all this comes down to. But, you know, Pelosi claims that uh, there is a negotiation going on here. Pelosi claims that they're willing to have a real discussion, but that's, well, we can all judge that for ourselves, can't we? Play two. Don't you, as Speaker of the House, have an obligation to be at the negotiating table? We have gone to, what negotiating table are we not at? The last one we went to, I think was a setup where the president pounded as he gave himself leverage to leave the room. But uh, no, we're at the negotiating table. Uh, I think she meant gave himself leave to leave the room, but she didn't want to say that. Um, no, they're not at the negotiating table because, you know, they wanted to go. Pelosi wanted to go on one of these CODELs, congressional delegation trip. It's going to go to Brussels and then Afghanistan. And this got canceled in one of the greatest acts of presidential trolling. And I, I am all I'm all for it. I really am. One of the greatest acts of presidential trolling you can imagine. It, the uh, Pelosi crew and a bunch of other members of Congress were in the bus on the way to Andrews Air Force Base to be taken, all paid for by the tax uh, by the taxpayer. You know, really just using the Department of Defense as their personal private jet service, taking them for, you know, a trip to Brussels and then Afghanistan. And I think they were also stopping maybe in Egypt along the way, too. But, you know, essentially just going on a trip. It's going to go, going to be on a trip and they get a big per diem when they're over there. A lot of government benefits that come with this whole thing. They don't pay. They don't pay for the travel. Obviously, they don't pay for their food and lodging. That's all you and me paying for that. And Trump released a letter and he said, look, sorry. Uh, right now, given the shutdown, I'm going to cancel the usage of uh, Department of Defense planes to get you there. Because guess what? Trump's the commander in chief. He has the right to do this. He did it. I love it. I think it's great. I think these congressional delegations are I know they're usually boondoggles. I used to brief members of Congress 
on these delegations sometimes. And man, it was a waste. Most of the time, I just wanted to know where they could get the, the coolest knives in the bazaar and where they could get the best rugs. I'm being serious. That's the kind of stuff that the congressional delegations were often interested in. I mean, most of these are absolute boondoggles. But the media is horrified, horrified at the politics involved here. Play four. The president has responded uh, in sort of a childish way is the only way to describe it uh, to the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. This is a, a sort of a classic example of Trump kind of overreacting. What has Trump has done today, tactically inept, strategically nitwitted. The only phrase that comes to mind is nanny nanny boo boo. Nobody who's ever traveled with a congressional delegation would think that this is funny or appropriate or cool. Nobody who's ever traveled with a congressional delegation. Nobody. Jake Tapper being all Jake Tapper-like. Actually, no, dude. Lots of people. I'm one of them. Who had to, who actually had to sit there and brief a congressional delegation and be like, so uh, you guys don't care, huh? You're, you're, you're visiting the... What they'll often do, because I know, because I worked on this stuff, and I'm not just taking dictation from, you know, Democrats in Capitol Hill. Uh, the way it works is that they'll add on a day somewhere that matters... On the way, they'll stop in London and Paris and Brussels and Prague and, you know, all that gets thrown in there. But, you know, then they'll spend a day in the green zone in Baghdad. People go, oh, it's so dangerous. Their flight's coming in a bag. People live there. I mean, these, these, these aren't war zones in the sense that people aren't going about their day-to-day lives in these countries. You know, they're, they're not planes being shot out of the sky, God forbid. But, you know, that's not happening. So, so they fly in for a day and get some briefings and leave. This is not some act of heroism or bravery in the part of, of the congressional delegation, but just all of the, oh, it's so terrible. And, you know, nobody would ever think nobody would ever think this is, you know, funny or cute. Actually wrong. I, I do think it's both funny and cute because I think that Pelosi's a, I think Pelosi's a clown, uh, a very powerful one, unfortunately, but not somebody of any intellectual or, or ethical seriousness. And I have to take this moment after we've established that there are lots of people in the media. Very upset. How how could he do this? You know, Trump trolling Pelosi on this issue is, you know, just just fine or, or terrible. But you know what's just fine and dandy for them? Pelosi the day before canceling the president's State of the Union address. Play three. Speaker Pelosi playing hardball. She's playing hardball. Speaker Pelosi flexing her constitutional muscle. Nancy Pelosi flexing her muscles today. This bold power play by Speaker Pelosi. She's got a PhD in needling President Trump. This is a a move of of exceptional uh, cleverness and sadism in a way. I mean, this is political genius. She was showing that she's in charge. What a badass. Political genius, they say. A badass. What do we think is, let's take a step back. What's really more important? A speech from the President of the United States to the American people that lays out the State of the Union, but also the direction of policy and what he's going to try to do. And it's going to be watched by, I don't know, 15 or 20 million people or whatever it is. Uh, Or a few members of Congress getting to fly to Europe and then a quick stopover in Kabul where they're going to be, you know, rug shopping and, and get some very you know, 30,000 foot at best briefings on what's going on in the country before they leave. What do we think is more important? I mean, I'll argue that neither of them are really that important. I mean, the State of the Union should just be, I think it should just be a policy paper. 
or you know, it should be released as a written statement. That's it. I don't think we have to do more pageantry. I think we get enough visualization of the president. I think we see enough and hear enough from the president. Um, but you know, Nancy Pelosi canceling a State of the Union is brilliant. It's genius. She's amazing. She's a badass. And then Trump's like, "All right, well, guess what? Your little trip, your little taxpayer-funded safari to, uh, you know, Brussels. Guess what?" We're we're gonna we're gonna put a little little pass on that because aren't you also then going to ensure that federal workers miss another payday? I mean, I, I thought we were so concerned with getting federal workers paid again. Pelosi's gonna leave the Speaker of the House, gonna leave the country for a completely unnecessary trip. And don't even get me started on what it means. And many of you listening who are, who were in the military, or if some of you were in the intelligence community like me, you know what I'm talking about. When they show up. When a Codel shows up in, in in Iraq or Afghanistan, oh, there's all this, you know, I got to give them a tour and everything's got to look nice and got to sound right. And there's just a lot of pomp and circumstance around. It's unnecessary. It's unnecessary. Um, and then now Pelosi's saying that, oh, he's, and now we can't fly commercial because Trump said we may fly commercial. So now we're in this big, let me tell you something right now. All right. Nancy Pelosi was not flying on a normal commercial flight to Afghanistan. No way she was going to do that. So this pretense that, oh, Trump blew Trump blew our cover with this trip now, and now we can't even fly private, even if we wanted to. And these people are so full of it. All liberals, so hypocritical, so sanctimonious. Oh, they really just need to get a grip. But uh, I don't think they're going to anytime soon. I, I don't think our expectation should be that all of a sudden liberals are going to start acting like adults. I think we're just going to see more and uh, more and more of this from them in the era of Trump. Trump has Trump has broken them and they have not yet figured out a way to deal with it. But this uh, State of the Union situation, I don't think we need this to have the State of the Union address. It's just if the politics of canceling the State of the Union are great and you're a, quote, journalist, you better not be running around making some case that the politics of canceling a completely unnecessary congressional boondoggle is some kind of grave national security threat or injustice. This is just, it's pathetic. It is pathetic. Why can't people just tell us what side you're on, media? Just stop lying. Tell us the truth about who you're rooting for. And then you can say whatever you want, and we'll judge it for ourselves. Stop pretending to be objective. You are liars. Yes, if, if we have to, I think we absolutely should. I think in no way should we say that the State of the Union is now a partisan event and the Democrats can just cancel it because they don't like Republicans. But I think it actually could happen. It's not very big. You know, we only have 100 seats, but we have a huge gallery and there could be some standing room. It's not ideal. I mean, it's supposed to be in the House and it traditionally has. We never tried to bar when the Republicans are in charge. We never tried to bar President Obama from doing it. No one ever even considered something like that. I think if the Democrats do it, it'll be seen as really petty and really petty partisanship um Rand paul's idea here that they would do the state of the union on the floor of the senate is, is certainly interesting but his thing that it's going to be petty and partisan yeah of course that's what democrats are you know and and i'll note that look republicans can be partisan too trump is obviously partisan and trump fights back that's why they hate him so much the Republican Party of, of 10 years ago would have said, oh, you know, they want to cancel the State of the Union. We must have made them mad. It's our fault. The Republican Party of today with Trump at the head is like, OK, all right, you're going to cancel my State of the Union. I'm going to cancel your BS flight that we all know 
is a boondog. And I like I like that Republican Party better. I, I think that you do need to have a check on the manipulations and uh, deceptions of the Democrats. And there need to be consequences for their lies. Because remember, you're dealing with people like uh, Congressman Schiff, who are just uh, slimy and unethical and gross. Play five. Too often in the last two years, the president has acted like he's in the fifth grade. And uh, to have someone who has that kind of character running the country um, is an enormous problem at every level. And we see it now. We've seen it over the last two years. And my guess is we're going to see it in the future. Well, our nation's capital has officially become a playground, uh, Brooke. Uh, the, the president has responded uh, in sort of a childish way, is the only way to describe it, uh, to the House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, uh, to her letter, essentially saying that the State of the Union will be postponed. There you had Acosta, Acosta get into the, the, the mix as well, just uh, calling the president childish. I mean, they're going to say all this stuff. You know what I say? All right, well, let's let's fight a little fire with fire here. You know, let's let's actually show them the way that they like to win these arguments. We're, we're going to do that. We're going to do that back. I would note here that the White House, I just saw this now. This just went up um, right before we went on air, but uh, that or a couple hours before we went on air. But I'm just seeing now that the White House has basically said that this Nancy Pelosi thing where she's saying that she was going to fly commercial and that this was leaked uh, is, quote, a flat out lie. And another White House official called it asinine. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. This is this is so pathetic. It's such a reach. The White House is going to leak that members of Congress are flying private, so that meaning that they're flying on commercial, not private planes, but on commercial, you know, airlines to Afghanistan. Uh, they're going to leak that to the press. First of all, how do they know it came from the White House? Start with that. You're going to tell me that congressional staffs wouldn't know about this? I mean, the, the the idea that they can pin it on the White House right away just goes to show you that this is highly political. And that they're trying to make a lot out of this, but even beyond that, yeah, right. Nancy, yeah, Nancy Pelosi, she's really gonna, she's really gonna cram into seat twenty-seven G on, you know, Air Afghanistan. I don't think so. Okay, I don't think Nancy Pelosi was about to get on a commercial flight bound for Kabul. I think Queen Nancy really makes uh, makes sure that she has a a seat that reclines all the way and has ample champagne wherever she flies. Let's get real, people. All right, let's get real. It is it is a flat out lie. It is asinine, and it's just funny to see. You know, this is you know Democrats. They're 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 being really childish about this because they're being exposed because Trump's winning the argument over the wall. Now we're gonna they want to focus on everything other than the wall. I was at the border this week, and as I told you at length on Wednesday, the wall works. Fencing works. Barriers are necessary. Barriers are incredibly helpful to the Border Patrol. There's no question. The numbers speak to it. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm telling you it works. And the biggest talking point you'd have for the Democrats up to this point was that they don't work. Well, that's just a lie. So now it's, oh, they're being so mean to the federal workers. And, and Trump is leaking to the press that we were going to fly to Afghanistan. It's just nonsense. But, you know, got the uh, March for Life and the Women's March. March for Life was today. Women's March is tomorrow. I want to talk to you about those two very different organizations and causes in some detail coming up. You tweeted, we're going to put this up on the screen regarding uh, Republican Congressman Senator Lindsey Graham. Uh, I believe we, ha we have this tweet uh, saying they got him. He is compromised. Uh, and there it is. I wonder if you could explain what what 
you were talking about there. This, is, this has sparked a fair amount of criticism, uh, not just from Republicans. Can you explain that comment? So over the last three years, um, we have seen many times where uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham has told us how dangerous this president could be if he was given the opportunity to be in the White House. And all of a sudden, he's made um, not only a, a 180 turnaround, but a 360 turnaround. And so I am pretty sure uh, that there is something happening um, with him. But, but that, that's quite a charge to make. You say you're pretty sure based on, based on what evidence, what, what facts. That, that's a remarkable uh, comment to make about a sitting U.S. senator. The, 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 ev the evidence really is um, present to us. Uh, it's being presented to us in the way that he's behaving. But that's not evidence. That, that's your opinion. But now as a sitting member of Congress, you would have tweeted, they got him on this. I, again, just based on what evidence, Congresswoman? My, my tweet was just uh, uh, an opinion based on what I believe uh, to be visible to me. And I'm pretty sure uh, there are lots of Americans who, who agree on this. A remarkable exchange there on CNN earlier this week that I, I've been meaning to get to with you, but I was out yesterday when it happened. Um, that was uh, two CNN anchors, actually two CNN anchors that I know pretty well, Poppy Harlow and Jim Shudo, um, and uh, Ilhan Omar, who is the, uh, the newest Muslim American, I think she might actually be the first Muslim American congresswoman, but uh, she was just sworn in, and... She uh, can't remember. I think she's I think she's from I'm not sure which state, actually, on the top of my head. Minnesota it doesn't matter. Minnesota. Thank you. Uh, she's from Minnesota. And uh, she is there getting pushed gently, I would note, on what do you mean? Lindsey Graham is compromised. What, what, what do you what do you say? And that's not, of course, they say, well, where's your evidence? They're being very gentle with her. Let's just cut the cut the bull from in here, shall we? The left. Chelsea Handler, other people who are very outspoken, you know, left wing loons, but people with platforms have been putting rumors out there for a long time that Lindsey Graham is a closeted homosexual. OK, that that is what they say. And, you know, because of this culture, I, I would argue because of this culture of hysteria surrounding all things Russia because you have all these people who are being told, oh, the, the P tape is real with the dossier and and, you know, they they've got something on Trump. I think that there's more of a a space in people's minds to believe this crazy nonsense than before. But it's crazy nonsense. And on top of that, on top of the lack of veracity that the left would use rumor mongering about somebody as allegedly gay as a way to undermine them is grotesque. Just think for a second, if it had been a white male member of the Republican Party saying that a Democrat who, let's say, was going along with the Obama agenda or, or a Hillary agenda or whomever, whatever, whoever the Democrat president was, that a, a white male Republican was going on TV or tweeting out, they've got him, he's compromised about a Democrat of any of any race, right? Doesn't matter, but just a Democrat saying that about it. 
the left would lose their minds. And and by the way, I mean, I, I think it's fair to get angry about that. I think somebody should. I think that calling somebody a closeted, a closeted homosexual and using that to undermine them and to uh, debase their politics is disgusting. But but just notice how, oh, and, and I, I got into some little little Twitter spat with some blue check journalists about, oh, she didn't, she didn't say it. She didn't say it. Oh, n- now we're going to play the dumb, dumb game. Uh, we're all, we're all a bunch of dumb, dumbs, you know, uh, what, what other politician in public, in public life right now who is going along with Trump is being referred to as compromised by, by uh, supporting his agenda. And they've got him. They've got him implies blackmail compromised implies blackmail of a personal nature and talking about a blackmail of a personal nature with regard to Lindsey Graham is obviously meant as an insinuation that Trump and the GOP with him are holding it over Lindsey Graham that he's gay when there is no evidence of this and even if there were evidence of this or or at least I should say even if this were true that the left would use this as some kind of a weapon in politics you would think would be beneath them. But no, of course not. And then you have on top of this Ilan Omar that they want to celebrate. They want to celebrate this woman. They're, they're such big fans. She's a Muslim American who's in Congress and she's a woman. And they there's so much about this, you know, diversity and breaking glass ceilings and all that stuff that the left really likes. But you can tell that they're already, you know, it's kind of a different a different set of rules here. And now they're, they're, there's a, applying a different standard to, and I think, by the way, it has much more to do with the fact that she's um, uh, a Muslim than anything else. I mean, I, I do believe that the media is always willing to tolerate uh, what would be considered intolerable from any other religious group in this country, but from Muslims, because Muslims are viewed by the left as a non-white minority religion a religion that is oppressed in the West, is oppressed in Europe and America, uh, they give Islam a pass. This is why you don't see Muslim bakers being arrested because they won't make cakes with, you know, sex toys on them or, you know, all the stuff that they've done to this this guy out in Colorado, just harassing this baker out in Colorado. Um, but, you know, they won't do that to Muslims. They, they don't do that to Muslims. And, and, there's, and also because they view... Islam as, as having suffered under the colonial yoke of the West. I mean, there's all this, and it, a lot of it comes from the academy, and then the media picks it up, this theorizing about why Islam should be treated differently when it comes to uh, anti-homosexual bigotry, uh, anti-female oppression. I mean, you go down the line, and Islam is is given a much greater leeway in terms of media criticism than, than obviously Christianity or, or Judaism are. Oh, and since we're bringing up Judaism, uh, Ms. Ilhan Omar, Congressman Omar, uh, also had some words to share on Israel that I think uh, raised some eyebrows, to say the least. Play 22. I do want to ask you also about your comments on Israel to remind people what you tweeted about Israel in 2012 during the offensive in Gaza. You wrote, Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. You've commented a lot since then, trying to explain what you meant by that. And I wonder just what your message is this morning as the first on our Game Changers series um, to uh, Jewish Americans who find that deeply offensive. 
Oh, uh, that's a really a regrettable way of, of expressing that. Um, I, I don't know um, how my comments would be offensive to, to Jewish Americans. My comments uh, precisely are addressing uh, what was happening uh, during the, the Gaza war. Um, and I am clearly speaking about the way that the Israeli uh, regime um, was uh, conducting itself uh, in, in that war. Hmm. Hmm. Israel has hypnotized the world. People will awake via Allah to the evil that Israel is doing. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not buying you. This is just a criticism of the Gaza offensive routine that she's putting up here. But again, uh, 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 just uh, somebody is, critic uh, is, is highly critical of, of the state of Israel and you might see it yourself, okay, well, Israel's a contentious policy choice. But, you know, here you have someone who really seems to have a problem with just the state of Israel. And, and this is becoming increasingly a problem for the left right now because they've elevated uh, some pretty radical left types into Congress and just elevated them the discourse. And there is a, a, a hatred of Israel that exists on the left that is very clear. It's very prominent. And especially hatred of Israel from non-white and re uh, religious minorities in this country is treated differently. This is how you have Louis Farrakhan, everybody, okay? It's just treated differently by the media. Farrakhan, who, remember, Obama hugged him when he was running for president, but the press hid that, or whatever, shook his hand warmly, hid that photo from us. Intentionally, they told us, the photographer later on that he had to hide the photo. Obama had to kiss Farrakhan's ring, but the American people overall weren't supposed to see that. Huh. I don't think that you would find any any uh, Republican of, of any uh, color or creed who would get away and shouldn't get away with saying the things that Louis Farrakhan has said, uh, referring to being not an anti-termite, uh, anti-Semite, but anti-termite. Um, you know, that uh, Farrakhan is just dripping with anti-Semitism. And yet the media gives him a pass just in general. Uh, lately, they've turned up the heat a little bit because people have been pointing this out. But you see this, uh, you see this with the way that they treat the far left on this issue as well. Uh, so if you are a far left Democrat who is a Muslim female minority, uh, you are going to get a whole lot more leeway to be anti, to say anti-gay things, to say anti-Semitic things, just go down the line. This is why people don't trust the media, because we know that this is happening. They can deny this as much as they want. It's obvious. If I had gone on air or any Republican that you know had gone on air and said anything like, you know, this Democrat is only doing this policy that he's doing because he's actually secretly gay or said anything even close to that. I know she didn't say the words to insinuate that in any way. Oh my gosh, I'd probably never I'd never be allowed to be seen in public again. Notice with those CNN anchors though, well, you know, you don't have any evidence for this. Ooh, that's, that's a pretty gentle way of saying, so are you actually a huge bigot? Because you sound like you're being pretty bigoted right now against gay people. That That's kind of what it sounds like. And I, you know, uh, Dave Rubin over at the, the, the Rubin Report, I saw him tweet. He, he certainly thought this was very anti-gay and bizarre. 
Uh, you know, you, you go down to, I'm not the only one. S.E. Cup, my old friend over at CNN, she thought it was anti-gay and bizarre. And I'm not alone here, but different rules, different rules uh, on the left and for preferred, preferred protected categories within the left. Uh, but intersectionality always devolves into, you know, uh, self-consumption of one kind or another. You know, that these these different groups that are these identity groups they're in this unstable hierarchy and the left is always trying to balance, you know, who do we have to support and who are we willing to sacrifice at any given time? And this will be interesting to see how it plays out. But there's more of this that comes into play with, with the the Women's March, which is planned tomorrow, not today. Um, I will tell you what I mean in just a moment. Do you feel that the Jewish people are Native as well? I mean, I know I understand the history that, you know, that um, there are people who have a number of uh, sort of ideologies around why the Jewish people feel this should be their land. I'm not Jewish, so for me to speak to that is not fair. If you're willing to say that the Palestinians are native but not the Jews are native, I mean, you're not I'm Palestinian either. I'm, because I'm speaking of the people who we know are being brutally oppressed in this moment. That's just the reality. Is it your view that Israel has a right to exist as a nation? I have said many times that I feel everyone has a right to exist. In your view, does that include Israelis in Israel? I believe that all people have the right to exist and that Palestinians are also suffering with a great crisis and that there are other Jewish scholars who will sit here and say the same. I'm, I, I'm done talking about this, okay. so you can move on. Okay. I just don't think it requires scholarly knowledge to be able to say that Israel has a right to exist. I, Good for Margaret Hoover over at uh, Firing Line over on PBS for... Pushing, I know Margaret, she's a nice lady, uh, pushing the, that was Women's March leader Tamika Mallory, who very clearly will not say that Israel has a right to exist. Very clearly, will not do it. Won't do it. How, first of all, never mind the fact that she should say it. How hard would it be to just say? You know, how, she, she knows she's, she's getting, in this, in this moment, she's getting heat, she's being, you know, uh, b- being pushed into a corner here, as she should be, because of the anti-Semitism of Linda Sarsour, who's a Women's March founder, you know, Tamika Mallory. And Tamika Mallory is somebody who also won't denounce Louis Farrakhan. You know, she will say she won't use his words or she doesn't use his, he speaks for himself. Well, yeah, that that we all know that, but do you think what he says is okay? You are a leader of a political movement. It, it is relevant. It is allowable. It is, in fact, desirable and necessary to ask these questions. And Tamika Mallory, sure enough, uh, would not say that Israel has a right to exist. And, and this is what I mean about that there is this room for anti-Semitism on the left, uh, which is so... It's troubling, but it's we also have to really dig into you know why is this the case, and a lot of it is driven by the narrative that Israel is the last colonial outpost of the West in the East, uh, and and that's how they view the Israeli-Palestinian issue. It's taught this way on college campuses. I know all about this. I took classes with anti-Israel, in many cases, anti-Israel Jewish professors who actually view the Israeli state as colonial. A colonial oppression and even akin to a um, a state of apartheid. I mean, I actually studied with a professor who would say that it was like apartheid. 
Um, and, and, you know, so there's there's these complexities with how why would an American Jew think that and, and, and promulgate that as, as a framework for thinking about Israel? But it's, it's on the left, there's this, this uh, willingness to both be incredibly uh, critical and, and destructive in, in the way one speaks about Israel. And, and also there's this double standard that comes up for, you know, when do you, you know, do you have to, do you have to denounce, if you're a Republican and you run for president, you got to denounce David Duke, even though no one cares who this guy is and, you know, no one's heard of him except every Democrat uh, member of the media brings it up every every presidential news cycle. Meanwhile, with Farrakhan, o- Obama paid homage to Farrakhan when he ran, and you know, Farrakhan is a huge anti-Semite. So, you know, why is this treated like it's okay at the Women's March? Well, we're trying to answer that question here. We've got more coming up. Introducing a new conservative alternative to liberal-based email services, iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is, in fact, the email service that all of you should be using if you value your privacy, your protection, and also you don't want to support a bunch of liberal agenda items. iPatriots.us is secure and private and includes more of what you want without all the ads and spam. With iPatriots, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and a whole lot more. And you know that your email and files are safe with iPatriots premium antivirus, anti-spam, 256-bit encryption. iPatriots.us is compatible with most mobile devices, iPhone, iPad, Android, Windows Mobile. So show you're a patriot. Go to iPatriots.us now. Choose your membership program. Input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Enter promo code BUCK, that's B-U-C-K, for 10% savings during your first year of membership. 46 years ago this month, a majority on the Supreme Court turned its back on that right. But in that moment, a movement was born. A movement defined by compassion and love. A movement animated by faith and truth. And a movement that's been winning hearts and minds every day since. Because of all of you gathered here, all those you represent and all those who have gone before, we know in our heart of hearts that life is winning in America once again. Vice President Pence addressing the March for Life, which was today in Washington, D.C., hundreds of thousands of people, mostly women, uh, coming together to march in favor of the lives of unborn children. And I will say that my former colleague Matt Walsh pointed out that this march is different from other marches in that this is a march where, by definition, everyone who is marching is doing it on behalf of someone who cannot march for themselves. Um, and and I think that that's, that's powerful here. You know, this is a a movement and this is an effort that is about saving lives and is also about the remembrance of all those whose lives have been taken from them because of what is a uh, a monstrous and and deeply wrong policy you know i i had to sit in uh, in rising pretty recently some of you might have even seen it on the hill show and interview the the president of planned parenthood and there were concerns from Planned Parenthood beforehand because I was identified by their PR people as an, an enemy of choice. 
which I think is such an interesting phrase, isn't it? Yes, that's right. I want to force people to only have vanilla ice cream, not pistachio ice cream. I'm an enemy of choice. I mean, obviously, that's a ridiculous phrase, enemy of choice. What does that even mean, right? Or an opponent of choice. What does that mean? No, I'm, I'm an opponent of the industrial slaughter of unborn children through abortion. And it's it's hard because on the one hand, I like to engage the other side on this one. Um, but more than that, I, I just want to engage as many people as possible, just as many uh, everyday men and women, and try to get the message out there that, you know, I, I can tell you I've met people that have had abortions and they have regretted it. I have yet to meet, and in some cases terribly, uh, many cases, I have never met somebody who said, oh, I I had that child, or even I had that child and gave him or her up for adoption, and it was the biggest mistake of my life. I've just never heard that from any mother. And I've spoken to countless women about this in political life and, and even in, in my, my private life over many, many, many years. So you know, this is one where um, this can really this can really count. You know, it can really matter. Even even the activism of today's March for Life, the activism of, of all of you who are listening in your lives to convince those around you if somebody's in crisis and they uh, really feel like they're, and I understand it's scary and it's, there's a lot that, that goes with the possibility of, of a, well, with an unplanned pregnancy or a, a child that somebody is not, they think they're not prepared for, but uh, choosing life is always the right choice. And and I, I would also like to deal with some of the legal uh, implications and ramifications of this. But I, I wanted to just play for you for a moment here uh, at the March for Life, the words of Abby Johnson, who is a former Planned Parenthood clinic director. And uh, here is what she said. Play 13. I worked for Planned Parenthood for eight years. Um, I was told that my job was to double the amount of abortions, so double our wow. abortion quota that wow. we had in our clinic, which was troubling to me because I have been told now for all of these years that our goal was to reduce the number of abortions, but here I am being told to double our quota. Um, then about a month later, I was asked to help participate in an ultrasound guided abortion procedure, and I watched as a 13-week-old fetus um, fought and struggled for his life against the abortion instrument. And mm. I knew then that there was humanity in the womb and that abortion was taking the life of this innocent human being. And uh, I decided to leave Planned Parenthood. You never hear the other side of this debate uh, the other side of this of this profoundly important moral argument. You you never hear them grapple with the words of someone like an Abby Johnson, who has seen it, who knows exactly what she's talking about. Um, it's always dressed up in this very sterilized language of choice and reproductive rights and women's rights, and it's all about rights, and this is what I have a right to do. And what are they really doing? And if it is a medical procedure, I mean, I can tell you this, uh, and this is one of the, the conversations that I, I had with the, uh, when I was interviewing the Planned Parenthood director, I said, is, is, is an abortion really health care? 
And she said yes, because I know that's, and I just wanted to get her on the record, and I tried to press a little more to get, but they're never going to veer. It's the, it's the president of Planned Parenthood. I mean, it's the, it's the heart of darkness. I mean, I, I she's actually a very pleasant person, unlike her predecessor, who came across as as very, I don't know, out of out of I think central casting for what you would think somebody in that role would be, uh, a bit a bit cold and kind of aloof and and uh, Machiavellian. Um, and in th- this woman was a was also an MD, uh, the president of the new president of Planned Parenthood. And I, I just wanted to, if I had had the time, and I remember I had to share my time there with a liberal, and there is a whole balancing act I have to do. If I had the time, that I would have asked as well, why is it? And I'll pose this to you, just to air this out. Why is it that if if I want to look up pretty much any medical procedure out there online, I can find on YouTube, a video of doctors saying, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and and here's how I do, you know, here's me doing a a hip replacement. Here's me removing a tumor. Here's me, you know, all these different aspects of healthcare. You can watch in detail, and the doctors are, I mean, not only are they fine with showing you the face, I think they're they're proud of the important service. You know, I want want doctors who are going to be operating on me one day who are the best there is and are you know, realize how thankful I am that we have the kind of medical services we do. Why is that not the case with Planned Parenthood? Why doesn't Planned Parenthood have videos just showing the whole procedure so everybody can really know what's going on because it's a medical procedure? If it's not scary and it's not bad and it's not immoral, why don't you go to the Planned Parenthood website and say, you know, click here to see, you know, to, to see what, what your abortion procedure will look like? Why do they oppose ultrasound in the womb to show people what the fetus in the womb looks like? You know, where are those, where are those pieces of information that, if this were really healthcare, I think it, it's quite clear we would all very much be able to to see and to learn more about. But it's not, and you always know there's a problem when people choose to lie to you, and that's what you have a lot of that going on in this discussion now, which stretches back for decades, I know. But the pro-choice side is is lying. And, and you know, this is also one of those issues where I, I, I don't care how popular or unpopular. People will talk about the polling, and that's only a worthwhile discussion insofar as it shows that more people, the more people realize what these procedures are and how they, how they um, are conducted, I think the more likely they are to have problems with them and oppose them. So with knowledge of abortion, abortion procedures comes uh, rejection of it as some kind of almost a, a, you know, central right to womanhood, which is really what the left and, you know, the women's march is going to be happening this week. And I might I might just to so I can see what's going on, I might venture out there uh, and and try to just talk to some of them. I, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to or not. But for the Women's March, you're, you're, you're somehow suspect, or rather, for yeah, for the Women's March, you are suspect if you were part of the right to life or March for Life. There's something wrong with you. And that tells you a lot about just how central this is. Also, the uh, abortion is only a tiny part of what Planned Parenthood does, for example. They say that's not, that's not true. I mean, we all know because then when you say, well, why don't you do everything else? You know, no, no, no one opposes really. No, there's no serious opposition to any other aspect of women's health care. You know, certainly people want women to get mammograms and, you know, STD screening and whatever other services Planned Parenthood may or may not provide for them. Um, but 
you know, th- those are all things that you could do without doing abortions. But they always pretend that it's not, um, it's not a, you know, that, that this is not an important part of what they do, and yet it's the most important part of what they do. And if they were giving out, you know, n- nobody who is fixing cleft palates says that they're doing something else. They say, no, we're fixing cleft palates. And everybody says, well, that's great. You're giving people their lives back. You know, it's an amazing surgery that, that what they can do, what American and, and Western and uh, first world plastic surgeons can do for kids or, or adults who have cleft palates. Right. It's amazing. They don't have to pretend it's something else. So this is the only area of healthcare where they say it's central. They say it's important, but we're not allowed to know about it. We're not allowed to talk about it. We can't see it. They don't want there to be real transparency and they're really vindictive and we'll talk about this in a moment they're really vindictive about anybody trying to show the public what's really going on Uh, they become vengeful Uh, the Planned Parenthood supporters and you know and look some of the biggest I'm just going to say I mean some of the biggest news anchors out there have family members who are very prominent in the Planned Parenthood movement and supporters of it and you know it's the tentacles stretch very far on this. We'll come back with more on it. Stay with me. The left never has a shortage of things to whine about. Bunch of snowflakes They're always being triggered by one thing or another. You know what might just cure that bad attitude? A delicious cup of Black Rifle coffee. I know that every morning when I have to get up, I'm like, oh, man, it's a rough day. But you know what? I get to drink some Black Rifle and then I know that I'm good to go. Black Rifle Coffee is roast to order, guarantees you fresh, delicious coffee with every order, and it gets delivered right to your door. Plus, Black Rifle gives a portion of their sales to veteran and first responder causes. They got a coffee club. I'm a member. You should join, too. It makes things easy. Just pick your blend and the amount you want, and they'll ship it right to your door every month hassle-free. Nothing cures that bad attitude like starting your day with the most American patriotic coffee ever, Black Rifle Coffee. Visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck and receive 15% off your order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck for 15% off. BlackRifleCoffee.com slash buck. Planned Parenthood officials are blasting the decision, saying as they have all along that the videos are heavily edited and they say misleading. Deceptive editing that has opened the door to controversy. The deceptively edited Planned Parenthood video has already been debunked multiple times by a number of different outlets, but that is not going to stop Republicans in the Senate and in the House. A deceptive video from a conservative group purports to show a Planned Parenthood official discussing prices for the illegal sale of fetal tissue from abortions. How these videos were edited, Planned Parenthood says, that is leading Planned Parenthood and its supporters to discredit the entire production. That was a big, fat, disgusting, evil lie. One that we dealt with when it was first being leveled when these videos came out uh, showing, these undercover videos showing what was going on with the, with the sale of fetal tissue. Still the hardest thing that I've ever had to uh, cover and, and, and work on as a, a media analyst uh, that was the most disturbing thing I've ever seen. Um, that was as as ugly and horrific as anything I've ever had to cover. And it was all because the Center for uh, Medical, I believe it was the Center for Medical Ethics is what the group was called, went undercover and found what was going on in these Planned Parenthood clinics. Well, now a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has issued a ruling 
And this has to do with whether Texas can strip Planned Parenthood of its Medicaid funding. Uh, but the but the ruling makes it very clear that, uh, quote, Planned Parenthood Associates did indeed circumvent legal and ethical guidelines in pursuit of harvesting human organs. All of this in direct contradiction to what the so-called Women's Health Organization and its eager defenders in the press claimed after the tapes were released in 2015, end quote. That's from the Washington Examiner. This was the big line that they were all running around saying. They're saying, oh, it's, it's heavily edited. The heavily edited videos. Oh, it's also heavily edited. What does that mean? First of all, any video clip is by definition edited. But what they were doing was creating a pretext for people to dismiss the footage that they were seeing as though it somehow was the same. That edited became almost synonymous in the minds of people with doctored. You know, they they, they couldn't say doctored because they would they had no proof of that there was you know that you'd have to actually be able to point and say well this was doc but you know whenever if somebody says the video is doctored in part you can dismiss the whole thing what they're saying is oh these videos were edited all videos are edited that you see on tv i mean all, all journalism requires editing so what what how is that even a a criticism but it just became the escape hatch in the conversation for people uh, and and it was just relentlessly pushed in the media and, you know, if, if you look around, you'll see that some of the biggest and I got to this before right before the break. I mean, some of the biggest names in liberal media and, and by that, I just mean the mainstream media are Planned Parenthood donors uh, have family members or spouses on the board or formerly on the board of Planned Parenthood. You know, very, very much uh, Planned Parenthood advocates, open advocates for Planned Parenthood. I mean, really, really believe in. And they're not open advocates for like the local women's health center that doesn't do abortions. OK, so it's not about women's health. They need to stop lying. But it was uh, interesting that the same week that you have the same within the same 24 hour period that you have the uh, March for Life happening here in D.C., you have this Fifth Circuit court ruling that came down that said these, these videos were not not edited in any way that was that was showing them to be illegitimate. Um, and it was, in fact, the Fusion GPS firm. That's right. The same firm that uh, put together the dossier was the one that came up for the uh, came up with the unfairly edited line to defend Planned Parenthood. Sele- I'm sorry, selectively edited. That was always the, the term, which which is which is a nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. Of course, everything that you see in the news is is selectively edited. It's called editing. You know, they're not going to show you the camera guy's role before the congressman shows up to the podium. Is that selectively edited? I mean, this is this was a complete propaganda trick. It was a it was absolutely dis. This was disinformation, lies. Where are uh, we? Just played a montage. All these different networks. Where are they now? That a court has looked at all the evidence and a, a, a U.S. federal court of appeals has said there was nothing selectively edited about these videos that anyone would think or, or could argue discounts the underlying material and the underlying truth of what was going on, which is that tiny babies, ba- tiny babies, body parts were being harvested for sale. That's what Planned Parenthood was doing. Tiny baby body parts harvested to make a profit. That is reality. 
That is what was going on. And the media tried to cover it up. They tried to cover it up. So, you know, we have to remember that there isn't just a, uh, there, there isn't just on the one hand, you know, people of good faith and the other people of, that need more understanding on the issue of why they should support life. There is also an apparatus of evil that is willing to do very terrible things to support this evil practice. And they should be held to account too in this life or the next. Regardless of whether you think prohibiting abortion is good or whether you think prohibiting abortion is bad, regardless of how you come out on that, Mm. my only point is the Constitution does not say anything about it. It leaves it up to democratic choice. That is the, uh, the voice of Justice Antonin Scalia, rest in peace, uh, who had a, had a very clear argument on this point. And, and I, it's one that I've even heard liberal jurists and professors agree with, although they'll generally do it somewhat quietly, which is that this notion there's a constitutional right to abortion is it is just delusional. There's no such thing. It's bad law. Roe is bad law. But nonetheless, you got the media very much invested in the narrative of what they call reproductive rights, a particularly Orwellian term. But what's going on now with the March for Life and uh, how is this being covered? Is it being given the attention that it deserves? We're joined by Amber Athey. She is a Daily Caller White House reporter. And uh, you can check out her stuff at dailycaller.com. Amber, great to have you back. Thanks for having me, Buck. So uh, what can you tell me? How, how, what was the turnout like today? And what's what's going on? Were you able to go, by the way? Can you give me some sense of how the, how the march come off today? Sure. I wasn't able to attend myself, but I did watch some of it on C-SPAN. It looked like it was really well attended. Um, this march regularly attracts hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I think last year it was something like three to 400,000. So it's a really huge event. It's every single year. Um, people are really excited about it. And the thing that I always notice about the March for Life is that it's overwhelmingly really positive. The people that go are really excited to be there. They're really happy. They're trying to spread a, spread a message of positivity. But you wouldn't know that if you were watching the mainstream media, if you watched um, CNN, MSNBC, um, they hardly covered it all to begin with. And if they do mention it, it's always uh, painted as these anti-abortion zealots, um, these you know bigoted people who want to take away women's reproductive rights. And the Washington Post ran this headline today. Um, it was their top story about the March for Life on their website, and they insisted that um, that pro-lifers are are claiming that the science is on their side, but that doctors say that they disagree. But then when you read the piece, you find out well actually. It's not that doctors disagree with the notion that life begins at conception or that life begins in the womb. It's just that a lot of doctors happen to be pro-choice because they think women should be able to abort their children anyway. So the whole piece was totally bunk. Um, and the coverage of this has always been really skewed. Um, and that's if they cover it at all. I always thought it was interesting that even the, the late, great Christopher Hitchens, who was a, a rabid atheist, uh, had said, you know, toward the latter years in his life, I, I remember hearing him talk about how with additional advances in science, the, the pro-life cause always gets stronger. There, there has, ne- there has yeah, never right. been some new ability that is scientifically based where you say, well, it seems like it's really not a person. Yeah, he's exactly right, because um, pro-lifers have been pointing this out for years, that a lot of people in the pro-choice movement 
say that, you know, life begins uh, when a baby is viable outside of the womb, for example. But as science has progressed, they've been able to keep babies alive outside of the womb at much earlier and earlier stages of the pregnancy, which proves that that's not an objective point of where life begins. That speaks more to scientific ability. Now, I also wanted to ask you about the uh, we're switching gears here for a second. We're talking to uh, Amber Athey of The Daily Caller. Uh, Amber, what is this story about Google and, and family, and they don't like the word family? I mean, I know today's the March for Life. People who tend to be pro-life are very pro-family as well. Those tend to go together. But w- w- what is going on at, at Google when it comes to families? It's really crazy. My uh, friend and colleague Peter Hassan broke this story. Um, Google was planning some kind of event for its employees, and they sent an email out telling them that it was going to be family-friendly, which, of course, has the implication that, yes, you can bring your kids to the event, um, your whole family, it's good for everyone. But apparently some Google employees, and by some I mean close to 100, who apparently agreed with this sentiment, that the word family is now offensive because it um, supposedly discriminates against non-traditional families, meaning uh, same-sex couples, um, people who don't have children, or even people who are unmarried. Single people were offended by this because they didn't think that they were included in this definition of family. Uh, It's really amazing what people choose to be outraged and offended by these days, but I guess I am not surprised that um, the left-wing workers at a big tech firm are the type of uh, perpetually aggrieved people um, that we would see on a college campus, for example. I find it fascinating that that the the notion of inclusiveness, right, just to be inclusive, is elevated on the left as as really a, a sacrosanct principle. I mean, just inclusiveness is is something you'll hear as a justification for a lot of otherwise seemingly very very strange policies. You know, we need to be inclusive. Meanwhile, they don't want to be inclusive of people who are pro-life, people who are traditional Christians, uh, like Mike Pence's wife. Uh, you know, you go down this list, and and inclusiveness is a very uh, a very amorphous and and I, I think very um, self-righteous term for them to use. Yeah, they're inclusive for everything that they happen to agree with, but they're not inclusive um, across the board. And this goes right back to the Women's March, which, uh, when it first got started, removed pro-life groups as sponsors of the event because they said that pro-life women can't be feminists, which a lot of pro-life women I know personally do identify as feminists. They actually think um, abortion is really harmful for women, and that's why they identify that way. But that's not apparently um, one of those things that the left wants to be inclusive about. And you see this time and time again. The word inclusive is something they use for their own political uh, ends. It doesn't actually mean what it is supposed to mean to those people. Amber Athey, everybody. Daily Caller. Check out her stuff there. uh, Dailycaller.com. Amber, have a great weekend. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Buck. Have a good weekend. Supposedly a bombshell story in BuzzFeed saying that President Trump may have directed his former attorney... Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress. That, among other allegations, Moscow Tower stuff, a whole bunch of things. I want to get to that. And then also the latest on Bruce Orr and what we have found out about the uh, the dossier and what was known and when it was known about the dossier. The best person for this, as we know, is Miss Kim Strassel. She is uh, the 
Wall Street Journal editorial board member who comes on here in a fair fair amount of time. And uh, also, The Intimidation Game is her book. Kim, thank you so much for joining. Hi, Buck. So, this BuzzFeed story. Do you give it credence? Are you concerned? What do you think? Well, first of all, let's talk about why it supposedly matters so much. And, and here's why Democrats in particular are excited about it is because, A, the authors of the piece, the journalists, claim that this uh, accusation is based off texts and emails. So they're no longer, in theory, going off just the words of Michael Cohen, who is an unreliable guy, but that there's supposedly some evidence here. And secondly, having not got anywhere with their obstruction of justice theories vis-a-vis uh, Mr. Trump and his firing of Jim Comey, uh, this would be their best hook of making an actual charge, an obstruction of justice charge. Um, I think the problem, of course, is that it comes from BuzzFeed. Um, and even the, the writer, one of the writers of the piece, acknowledged that he hasn't actually seen any of these texts or emails that he cites. He instead quotes some officials. If the if the crux of this piece is accurate, is this is this a new level of of trouble and 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 heat for the president in your mind? Well, it's already a new level of trouble and heat, only in that Democrats have seized on it, and members of the House have already said that they're going to investigate it, and you can expect that the White House is going to be getting subpoenas related to this and be demanded to answer questions. Um, and, of course, the Michael Cohen testimony has now become, when it happens next month in the House, it has become even more, it's going to be even more of a circus. Um, so that's already trouble. I mean, I, I think the, the the bigger question is, one problem with this book is, let's even say there are text and emails. And I'm not saying there are, right? A lot of stories have been very wrong on this. But let's just say that we don't even know what they say. Do they really direct him to? Is that an expansive reading of it? Um, you know, did the Trump say, do what you need to do to make something happen here or here? Um, and did they take that to mean an order? I mean, we just don't know what we're talking about. And one can assume, though, that because they're saying that there is documentary uh, evidence to be presented here and that Mueller must have it, that at some point uh, we will get some verification of this. Do you think it's fair to say, I mean, Kim, you work at the Wall Street Journal, if if BuzzFeed turns out to have been ahead of its skis on this one, have they burned whatever credibility the Internet's favorite cat video site has got? (laughs) Well, yeah, they've already got problems, I think, with that credibility issue anyway. But I think, look, Buck, I think at the end of this, when we finally do get a Mueller report, and assuming it actually provides some answers, it's going to have to be a lot of journalists that answer for a lot of things that have been written. Um, and politicians, too. I mean, you know, don't forget two years ago, we had Adam Schiff saying that his committee had proof that Trump had engaged in collusion. Um, we've never seen that. Um, and <laughs> uh, there we have certainly don't have any evidence of it. So I think one thing that I think would be very healthy for democracy is when this is done, that people go back and reexamine some of these claims that remain and that and media organizations be held to account. Now let's talk about Bruce Orr and the latest. I know you wrote about this in the Wall Street Journal, uh, I think this past week. What, what have we found out about Bruce Orr and, and how does it factor into all the nonsense around the origins of the Russia collusion investigation. Right. So this is exactly what it deals with. It deals with the infamous dossier and the FBI's origin story. Because remember, 
the FBI has tried very, very hard to leave the impression that this counterintelligence investigation, that it began in July of 2016, was based on Papadopoulos conversations in London. It had nothing to do with this dossier because they always understood the dossier was a liability. And they've let everyone think and, or, you know, spread it out to their media pals. They didn't even have that dossier until September. And so, therefore, it couldn't have played a role. What Bruce Orr told Congress last August is that, in fact, he had a meeting with the dossier author, Christopher Steele, on July 30th of 2016, and immediately went and told the Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe, Lisa Page, and in the month of August also briefed the FBI team and members of the Department of Justice. So they knew about it at a route in the time that they were setting up their counterintelligence investigation. So, you know, when do we actually get somebody to come out and admit that this is, you know, what's it going to take, you think, Kim, before they'll say that, the, the the usage of opposition research at the top of the FBI for the purposes of getting a FISA warrant on a U.S. citizen who, by the way, as you know, Kim, still has not ever even been charged with a crime in the case of Carter Page and who has spoken liberally and at length to the special counsel without lawyers, which I just find stunning. Um when do people care? When do journalists start to care about that? I, I thought they were supposed to be all about civil liberties and, and, and the rights that we have to not be spied on by the state. Oh, do you remember not so very long ago, Buck, certainly in the time you and I have been in this business, Democrats being so concerned with FISA abuse and the government spying on American citizens that they said we needed an ombudsman to handle all of those FISA requests. Um, you know, I think I'm maybe joining them in that view. It's too bad they don't hold it anymore or no one in the media. And, you know, look, we can never expect the people within the FBI and the DOJ who were part of this whole plan to ever admit their own wrongdoing, okay? There's too much of an institutional pride and bias to acknowledge that. Um, but then the only way you ever get to the bottom of this is to have an adversarial press that actually challenges. Instead, most of the press is just serving as a scribe to whatever preferred narrative the FBI and DOJ spoon feed them. And, and it's just, it's mesmerizing to me as a journalist to watch it happen. It's, it's extraordinary. I've never seen anything quite like it. I just remember how much, uh, how much difficulty there was even at the intelligence division of the NYPD when I was working there. Uh, we were trying to do surveillance that was all documented and legal and based on a criminal predicate or based on reasonable suspicion of people that were trying to blow up subway cars. And there was outrage about the civil liberties implications and how could. Meanwhile, you, you know, if, if you're running around with with anyone from the Trump campaign, apparently we can just have the federal government pull all of your emails and phone calls and, you know, no big deal. No, and that is generally their attitude. And, uh, you know, I always like to, and I'm sure you do this mental exercise sometimes, too, is project back and imagine what this would all be like if, for instance, this had been a Bush administration pulling this kind of stunt on an incoming Obama administration. Um, you know, we'd still be hearing about it today, uh, 10 years later. <laughs> um, but they don't. And look, I think there's a lot of it. The FBI needs to be held to account. The DOJ needs to be held to account. I'm, I'm also appalled that you don't see anyone in the press community asking the FISA court for any answers. 
um, asking why the FISA court hasn't called the DOJ back in to account for its actions, uh, explain exactly why they weren't provided all of the information, because, you know, courts traditionally do not like to be duped. This is an Article Three court like any, over, any other. It has the power to demand the prosecutors who come in front of it explain themselves. And as so far as we know, now maybe we wouldn't because it's quite a secretive court, they haven't, demand, they haven't demanded any answer. I'm just wondering what, when we when we will get some answers here. And do you have a, just before we let you go, Kim? Do you have a theory as to why Trump hasn't declassified some of the information about the FISA or about the FISA specifically and just Russia investigation origin stuff more generally? Because I'm befuddled. I asked the president; he said he was going to do it, and then he didn't do it. Yeah, well, he went down that road, and then he got, obviously, mal-mowed by a lot of people, including his own intelligence committee, uh, intelligence officials, which I think is really unfortunate, saying, well, you know, you can't do this, and you got to let the inspector general take a look at it. Um, and I worry that that process is going to result in a lot of redactions that are still going to deny us information we need. But I, I think that, unfortunately, the president is being advised by people that it would be best to wait until special counsel Bob Mueller uh, completes his investigation so that he cannot in any way be, be accused of having engaged in further obstruction of that probe. I find that a very bogus yeah. argument because this is transparency. Yeah, transparency, uh, you know, transparency is not is not meddling. I collusion. Right. Yeah. Putting more information out is not uh, obstruction. It, it's it's one of the duties of government officials, especially because this is all going to come out of politics. Everybody follow Kim Strassel on Twitter. If you're not already also look for her pieces on the Wall Street Journal, the one and only Kim Strassel. Thank you so much. Thanks, Buck. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's in? Well, ask John, whose blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free. They can set up in minutes and run on two AA batteries that last up to two years. And if you're traveling, Blink's live feed option lets you monitor your home and check in on pets from anywhere using the Blink smartphone app. No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable, and Blink works with Alexa. Blink camera systems make great gifts, and they're a brilliant way to monitor your package delivery. So don't let those package thieves get you, okay? They steal it right off your porch. You don't want that. Visit BlinkProtect.com slash Buck. That's BlinkProtect.com slash Buck. Again, that's BlinkProtect.com slash Buck. Blink is an Amazon company. Right now, there is a question within a, a sizable chunk of America whether Donald Trump is uh, is working on behalf of Russia. Whose side is the president on? A Russia's side or, not, or our side? Basically, this spouts Putin's lies. He wants to give Russia every item on its most fantastical international wish list. Putin now has a president of the United States who performs backflips on command. He has some special relationship with them and is not made public. And uh, I think he's fearful that President Putin probably has information. Now, look, I know from our trips to Russia, everything you do and say is being listened to and is being followed. But I do know from intelligence community personnel that I've talked to that there is huge credibility within the intel community to the so-called steel dossier and to many of that. There's just so much BS that you have to deal with the moment you start talking about 
Russia collusion and what's going on with it and all this stuff. Uh, I love how you had you had Scarborough who remember and, and don't forget this. Scarborough was chummy to the max with Trump when he thought that it was good access for him as a TV personality to, to do so. Right. He was buddy buddy with Trump until all of a sudden Trump didn't like him anymore. And then he became Mr. Never Trumper extraordinaire. Uh, that's just that's just petty. I mean, that's just personal vendetta stuff. It has nothing to do with what's good for the country. But Scarborough says there, oh, you know, I I really think that there are a lot of people with questions. They have these questions because the media keeps asking the questions, right? If you hear all the time, well, is uh, so-and-so beating his wife? You would think if if enough people in the media say, well, so-and-so might be beating his wife, you might think, hey, hold on a second. So that's what's going on here. And, and yet they they use right they This is like stocking the pond and then fishing from the pond and being like, I didn't know there were fish here. It's like, no, of course there are. You're putting the fish there. You're putting the questions out there, which reminds me, I haven't been fishing in a while. It sounds like fun. Uh, but this this whole thing with John Kerry and these other people where they they get into how Trump may be compromised right and this is where you get all these people who also all of a sudden are using words like compromat and disinformatia and all this stuff you know they've learned a few of these russian intel buzzwords and they use them all the time without understanding think about what they're really suggesting that that trump and you got rachel maddow i mean this is the these are the biggest some of them names on the left these are huge platforms where people are just spreading lies and nonsense and gossip as though it's fact and never going back to fact check the nonsense gossip when it's proven that it wasn't true now how many retractions have you seen from the guardian for example on their story that manafort met with julian assange in the ecuadorian embassy in london uh guess what that's not possible meaning that it's not possible that manafort did that And there's not a clear record of it and people wouldn't know. Nobody would get in or out of that embassy, the embassy where currently Julian Assange is evading justice. Uh, Nobody would get or evading the authorities, whether you believe Assange is a good guy or not, or he's a journalist or not. I'll leave that conversation to another time. Uh, But without a clear record of it, that would be verifiable one way or the other. This now is just something that people say it's become a fashion. It's become almost a a social convention. Oh, yeah, Trump, Russia, you know, he's doing Russia's bidding. How is he doing Russia's bidding? Well, well, first, let's get to how they think that Russia would even make him do that. By by what exactly? By the promise of, of Trump Tower Moscow? Trump's already really rich. I would note that even if this BuzzFeed story is true, there is nothing in it that we can point to in terms of the possible Trump Tower, Russia, or Trump Tower Moscow building that's illegal. There's nothing about the business approach that is illegal. You might say it's unseemly, but I'm not going to take lectures about unseemly presidential candidates and unseemly presidents from the people who thought that Hillary Clinton and her husband are worth $100 million Off of speeches, folks, speeches. Think about that. No one's speeches. I'm in this business. I know what people get paid for speeches. By the way, if you want to hire Buck Sexton for a speech sometime, just reach out to me on Facebook. 
Um, but no, no one is worth $800,000 for speech. And I, and I mean that no one. You pay $800,000 for a speech, which is what Clinton got from a Russian government-linked bank because they were trying to buy influence and access. The Clintons were for sale, both of them. We know this. So, you know, while, while I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I think that every time that Donald Trump is engaged in a business transaction, he's just being as, as, as pure as the driven snow here. But I, I also think that what's the standard? And you have this insane loony left that is trying to say that they have info on Trump. Well, what could that info even be? They've tried this whole porn star blackmail thing. I mean, how do you this is the real question. I mean, this is what I'm trying to get to. How do you blackmail Donald Trump? Really think about that one for a moment. What would you have to have on Trump? I mean, you would have to have not a a little bit of what uh, hard, hard knuckle real estate tactics. Come on, a little bit of coloring outside the lines on getting permission to build something somewhere. You think you think you're going to blackmail Donald Trump over that? And this is a guy who had a lawyer who's making payouts to porn stars, whether you think he had the affair or not. You're not going to blackmail him over this. And and just the, the whole bizarre, you know, golden shower dossier thing. I mean, all of it, it's just these people have lost their minds. And then they take it the step even further where it's all about NATO. Look, this is the kind of stuff Trump says about NATO. Play clip nine. We cannot be the fools for others. We're going to be with NATO 100%. But as I told the countries, you have to step up. You have to pay minimum numbers, actually. that They set a 2% goal. Very few pay that. But they should be much higher than that. Look at what we pay. It's massively higher than that. Countries are now stepping up, and they can well afford to. Trump is advocating for NATO countries to spend more money on their defense, which, at least in theory, under the NATO, under you know NATO's uh, founding charter, is supposed to be about dealing with then Soviet, now I guess Russian aggression. So Trump says, "I want our European partners paying more," which means a bigger mil. He wants them to have bigger militaries, and that's doing Putin's bidding. We have to hear from idiots like this guy, Congressman Meeks, about play clip 10. He is a guy that I would believe that if you talk to him uh, three or four years before running for president, he probably didn't even know what NATO is. But uh, and but now, you know, he has devalued NATO and the EU uh, to such a degree that it is plausible to me that he would have had this backdoor conversation with Vladimir Putin about uh, withdrawing from NATO. More, but this is from a congressman. More Putin theorized based on what? Nothing. They got no. He's saying he wants our NATO allies to spend more money of on their defense, which is a which is hugely problematic if you're Putin and you're thinking about aggression in the near future. But now they're going to say that he, you know, these are just conspiracies, folks. This is all Russia conspiracy stuff. It really is. But they're not going to stop. So we have to keep fighting back. We have no choice. I'd rather focus on ways to make the country stronger and better, but they want to just get into this Russia lunacy. Look, the AARP is pretty well known, and you or somebody you know might already be a member of it. But did you already know that the AARP is a pretty left-wing organization all about government control of health care and higher taxes for the middle class and just bigger government in general? Well, that's why I recommend AMAC. 
Why AMAC? Well, you see, AMAC is all about getting you all the value from AARP. So it gets you all the stuff like car insurance, hotel, roadside assistance, dental plan, even cell phone service discounts and options. Lots of benefits for you. But AMAC is actually about conservatism and patriotism. Okay, join the AMAC conservative alternative Stand with them in this fight. Become a member today. The benefits are great. The cause is even greater. Tell your family, tell your friends. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better. Better for you. Better for America. I generally don't find there to be a lot of life wisdom for any of us from entertainment celebrities. Um, Although I will say that of the people in the entertainment world that are at least worth listening to in terms of the uh, bumps and bruises they've gotten along the way. Comedians comedians certainly have it rough. I mean, it, it is a tough thing to try and be a working comedian. It is a, it is a very uh, difficult progression to get to a place where you're actually even making a living, never mind being somebody who is as famous as Conan O'Brien. But I, I saw this... Uh, this interview in the New York Times about how Conan O'Brien is, and this will make sense in a second why I'm telling you this. Conan O'Brien is scaling back his show from an hour to 30 minutes. He's doing a podcast. He's trying all these different mediums. He's switching things around. And, and I like this because I'm somebody who also is trying different things. Um, I've done a little bit of podcast here and there. Obviously, this show is also uh, able to be listened as a podcast, but it's really a traditional radio show. But I've done some other podcasts, I've done some other work and and digital TV and all these different things. And you know, a part of it is that you have to do what is true for you. You know, what what your day to day is going to be, what you want your life to be like. And no one's going to do that for you. And I think Conan O'Brien's kind of recognized that. And for all of us, whether you're in entertainment or I'm sure the vast majority have real jobs and are not in entertainment. Uh, I think there's some pretty interesting advice that he, not even advice, just some some insight in this interview that he has. So this is a New York Times interview with Conan O'Brien about all the changes and and how his show is is getting shorter and, and how he's doing all these different digital plays and digital opportunities. Here's what he said. Is this how you want to go out with a show that gets smaller and smaller until it's gone? Conan responds, maybe that's okay. I think you have more of a problem with it than I do. At this point in my career, I could go out with a grand 21-gun salute and climb into a rocket, and the entire Supreme Court walks out, and they jointly press a button. I'm shot up into the air, and there's an explosion, and it's orange, and it spells good night and God love. In this culture, two years later, it's going to be who's Conan? This is going to sound grim, but eventually all our graves go unattended. That is pretty grim for a comedian, I have to say. But I can appreciate something of the the sentiment here, which is that entertainment is just that. And people also, I think, make a much bigger deal out of all of us. Have Much too much of our own value is tied in with our our career, whatever that may be. And particularly for people who who are in the public eye, there's a sense that if you weren't still doing this job, you would cease to exist. I see this all the time in in the media business and the news business, where there are people who clearly would be better off tending more to their family and, and just getting emotionally and spiritually 
healthy. You know, they've been doing this for 20 or 30 years, but they really think that all the clocks will stop if they step away from it. You know, all, all of life as we know it will come to a halt if they're not the one presenting the news at seven o'clock every night. Uh, it, it's, it's not true. It's the same thing with entertainers. There are plenty of other people who can do it. I know that most entertainers would say they do it because they love it. Look, I love this job, but there's always something more important than your job. That's what I'm trying to get at. And I think there's a necessary perspective, in, especially in our current culture where everyone's engaging. I mean, self-promotion now, it doesn't matter if you're selling tea cozies online or if you're trying to be a, a TV host. Self-promotion, photos, all this stuff, we're just surrounded with it all the time. And, and it does, I think, force some existential questions where we say to ourselves, you know, what is this really even all about? Sure, I'm all for capitalism and, and having a, uh, a growing business, and you've got to be involved in a business and not a hobby when you're talking about your professional stuff. I get that, but there's also a, a context for it. There, there's a necessary perspective. Conan goes on in this interview, and uh, by the way, the, the interviewer said the same thing that I, or had the same feeling that I did, which is, you're right, that does sound grim. Then Conan said this, quote, well, sorry, but Calvin Coolidge was a pretty popular president. I've been to his grave in Vermont. It has the presidential seal on it. Nobody was there. And by the way, I'm the only late night host that has been to Calvin Coolidge's grave. I think that's what separates me from the other hosts. I had a great conversation with Albert Brooks once. When I met him for the first time, I was kind of stammering. I said, you make movies. They live on forever. I just do these late night shows. They get lost. They're never seen again. And who cares? And he looked at me and he said... What are you talking about? None of it matters. None of it matters? No, that's the secret. In 1940, people said Clark Gable is the face of the 20th century. Who the blank thinks about Clark Gable? Doesn't matter. You'll be forgotten. I'll be forgotten. We'll all be forgotten. Um, it's so funny because you'd think that would depress me. I was walking on air after that. I understand what he's going for here. First of all, Cabin Coolidge is the prototype of what an American president should be, which is a guy who just does the job without a ton of fanfare and doesn't mess things up for people and is just just there to do a job, not there to be some uh, deity, not there to try to pretend that he's going to solve everybody's problems or that he's going to make all the bad things in the world go away, just a guy doing a job. I, I do wish we could get back to that less uh, cult-like and less celebrity-obsessed not just presidency, but culture overall. But that that's where I would come in here and say, he's right, meaning Conan is right. Albert Brooks was right. None of this really matters in a profound long-term sense. You know, your, your job, who, whatever you do, whatever your job is, you're listening to this across the country, it doesn't really matter. Sure, you've got to put food on the table for you and your family. It, it, it has purpose, but we have to derive, and, and this gets into some of the conversation around the Tucker Carlson monologue recently, we have to find a purpose beyond just our, our work and our labor and, and our careers. And that's where you get into how it's actually the, the stuff that many of us think of as what's around our jobs, what is sometimes even in the way of our jobs that really matters. It's your family. It's your spouse, your kids, your brothers and sisters, mom and dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, all the rest of it. It's your friends. It's how you treat people. It's how you make people feel around you every day. 
It's the small contributions you make to putting those around you more at ease with how you treat them and, and how you act, and, and that is professionally and personally. That's the only stuff, in a way, that really matters in a day-to-day sense. And then also, obviously, your relationship with God, and that's what I meant about spiritual health before. That all matters. Whether you're doing an hour show or a 30-minute show or any of that stuff, it's just at the end of the day or at the end of all of our days, no one is really going to remember all that. And I think that now more than ever before, there is a sense that we can achieve a kind of immortality through the success, whatever, however you define that, the success of what it is that you're doing and and really, it's more about the success of how you've been as a person. What are you really like? What do you value? What have you done for those around you? Have you served the people around you? Have you served a purpose for them? Does your life have a meaning that is positive at the end of the day? And that does not that is not measured in dollars or ratings or any of that other or social media, you know, Twitter following, Instagram following. That is all incredibly transient, and I think it's becoming even more transient as time passes. People are realizing that. Clicks and likes and shares, all this stuff is, in the end, meaningless. And there's also a freedom that comes from this. To know what doesn't really matter is to know what you don't have to worry about. And that's why, I don't know, this this little, little segment where Conan O'Brien was just saying, whether I do a 30-minute show, an hour show, or whether I'm the best comedian in the country, or no one knows who I am, that's not what is really important. And I do think there's also a conversation about each and every one of us. Part of our purpose is to find our purpose and to understand what is important for you in your life. But all right, enough of the... uh, Enough of the, the spiritual talk. Um, I've got a, a quick news story I wanted to hit with you, and then we will get to roll call. Stay right there. Here's a story that I think is a pretty good one to get ready for our weekend with here. Um, th- this is pretty incredible. This was reported on by the in the UK by the Mirror. So there was this Al Shabaab terror attack that that just happened. Uh, what was this? A few days ago where you had Al-Shabaab, which is an Al-Qaeda-linked group in Somalia. It's basically the the jihadist entity of Somalia, and it has engaged in some very high-profile terror attacks in the past in neighboring Kenya. Well, it turns out there was one of these attacks at a hotel in Kenya. Uh, Al-Shabaab attacks was going on, and this whole hotel complex killed 14 people, including a British charity worker, uh, so terrible this this attack that went on and and you, you took a, a lot of a lot of innocent people uh, brutally murdered horrific stuff. One part of the story though that I, I just found out today is that there was a British SAS, which is their equivalent of a, essentially a tier one military unit like the like SEAL Team Six or or the uh, Delta or Delta Force uh, British SAS counterterrorism trainer just happened to be out on a personal shopping trip, you know, to just go get, I don't know, food or clothing, whatever he needed, happened to be nearby. And he heard what was going on when they were storming this hotel, heard the gunfire. He sprinted to his car, 
He had his counter-terror training equipment in the car, so he got all uh, all geared up and went in there and went, you know, room clearing in this hotel to get people out. And it's a pretty amazing story. I mean, it really is like the the plot of Under Siege or, you know, Die Hard or one of these movies where there's one person who just happens to be the one right guy at the time to intervene when a, when a terrible terrorist act like this is, is underway. So I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that we're going to find out more information about this, that this SAS terror trainer, I mean, there's photos of him, they've blurred his face, but he's evacuating people out. I mean, and he is just completely, he's all geared up and, and he's going in there. You know, he told the local police to wait. I mean, he's smart. He knows that friendly fire, blue on blue here is one of the biggest problems a guy like him would have to be on the lookout for other than the highly armed, you know, AK-47 wielding terrorists that were inside. So pretty amazing story. It just goes to show you, you never know. You just never know when, for those of you, and I know there are people listening to this who have elite law enforcement military training, you never know when it's going to be go time. And uh, this guy, we don't, I don't even think we know his, I don't think they released his name. Um, so he's they're certainly not showing his face. Yeah, they didn't release his name either. Uh, pretty remarkable, though, reporting here out of the uh, UK mirror. Never know when it's going to be your time to step in and save some lives. Roll Call is up next. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. So I hear Raheem did a great job last night on the show. That always makes me very happy. As you know, I I have the let's get the best guest host we can philosophy in place. So we go to Raheem and Harlan and others because we want to make sure every night you tune into this show, you have a fantastic listening experience. All right. Man, I cannot wait for this weekend. I got a long weekend, actually, although I don't even know. Hey, producer Mike, are we on radio? Are we on radio Monday or not? That's probably something that I should uh, find out because, you know, I'm the host and all that good stuff. So that, that's important. That's your home. Are you too good for your home? Answer me. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton if you want to get in on this. By the way, I want to let you know, if you don't have it, you can download the iHeart app onto your phone for free. And there is, in fact, a Buck Sexton 24-7 option. Now, as amazing as it may sound, that doesn't mean you have to listen to me 24-7. It just means that at any point in your busy day, your schedule, you can just go to the iHeart app and listen that way. So if you ever feel like you've missed out on your local station or you didn't download the podcast, you got Wi-Fi, you can just go on the iHeart app. Otherwise, iTunes is a great place to download the podcast. And with that, TJ, my man, TJ has a Shields High t-shirt in his profile photo, so he has a special place in Team Buck's heart. Uh, Buck, how do you get swindled into sharing that god-awful parody music video about the shutdown this morning on Rising? That was awful. You really need to chew out the producers there if you haven't already. I know you said it, but 9,000 views is not exactly going viral. Also, in regards to Cardi B... Didn't she have a video not too long ago complaining about paying taxes? 
I'm guessing if she didn't have to pay taxes during government shutdown, she'd be changing her tune pretty quick. I'm all for not paying taxes during a government shutdown. P.S. I don't know about Cardi B's tax policies. Uh, I do know that that video, the parody video, uh, sucked and was not something that I think we should have put on air on Rising, but I don't get to make all the decisions there. One of the reasons I love radio so much is I do get to make the decisions here. This is this is pure, unfiltered, unadulterated bucktasticness here. Un- unlike uh, on the TV, TV is always more collaborative in general, but especially when you're doing a left-right show and and some other stuff like that, uh, you, you need to uh, you need to dilute the buck a little bit, which is not the way I like to do things. Jen writes, "Buck, happy new year." Two things. Look up Paul Check, a holistic health guy, super jacked, 55 years old, common sense health and fitness stuff. And secondly, how is Miss Molly? I hope you two are still together. I've not heard you speak of her of late. Happy Friday. Shields high. Jen. Jen, Miss Molly's fine. She's just traveling for work right now. She's away for a few for a few weeks. Sometimes she has to go. She works in the fashion industry. And so she has to go on these uh, essentially road shows where she meets with different clients and and different buyers uh, all around the country and sometimes even overseas. So Miss Molly's great. I will tell her the team was asking for her. And uh, as for this guy, Paul Check, I will check him out. So there you have it. Sorry, and it's late on a Friday. You got to give me a little leeway here to let some some bad ones uh, let some bad ones fly. Occasionally, occasionally it's going to happen. Now, Simcha writes, Dear, dear Zvi Gabai, a rough translation of Buck Sexton into Hebrew. This photo is from my car as I drive from the suburb where I live into Jerusalem for work. Years ago, this highway was a target for rock attacks or shootings. It's been safe for a while because walls work and because we here in Israel know how to keep our shields high. All the best. Sam. Uh, well, well, Sam, first of all, thank you for telling me my, my Hebrew name, Zvi. You can always write, hey, Zvi, and I'll know who you're talking about now. Uh, as to walls working, yes, I mean, that's what I was, I didn't learn it this week. I just had it reinforced this week by all these different members of Border Patrol who just can't imagine how all these talking heads and all these so-called experts on different things can go on TV and just be so foolish when they talk about walls. I mean, walls obviously work and are very effective as a form of protection and security and, and border separation. And you in Israel uh, have shown the whole world this. Israel was in, I remember, back in 2001, 2002, it was in really rough shape um, with all the suicide bombings that were happening and the infiltration of these different Hamas opera- operatives and, you know, all, all the uh, Qassam brigades and uh, Al-Quds and all this different stuff that was going on. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad it worked for Israel, obviously. And, and I, I hope we have learned from Israel's lesson, although the Democrats certainly haven't. Julie writes, hey, Buck, I'm sorry. I want to know why illegal immigrants are allowed to have their children while U.S. citizens are losing custody rights based on a disability. Your show is great. Thank you. Julie, I don't know about this U.S. citizens losing custody question uh, over disability, so I'd have to ask about that. I, I will say that, you know, one part of the, and thank you for saying my show is great, I appreciate that, 
one part of the child separation discussion that does not get enough focus is that children are separated from parents in this country without anyone being convicted of a crime all the time. And that's with citizens. Children are separated from parents if there's uh, if there's a credible reason to believe there's abuse. I mean, child services, child services don't show up and say, oh, you haven't been convicted of felony abuse. We're just going to leave the kid here. Child services can and do take children away from people uh, based upon a, a, a feeling that they need to protect them from possible uh, child abuse or, or to you know make sure they don't suffer continued child abuse. So that does happen in this country, and you do not get much discussion of it. Rocky writes, Netflix should have taken a cue from the Dems. Have someone of the company say they want to raise your rates 50%. All the customers freak, then cooler heads prevail. They appear to chastise the person. They only raise a, a reasonable sum. Customers let out a sigh of relief. Um, well, Rocky, that's a, an interesting approach for sure. Steve writes, Shields high, Buck. My name is Steve. I'm a truck driver. And this may sound weird, but you're in my cab every night. LOL. I love your show. I enjoy it. Uh, a little over a week ago, you mentioned a Sasquatch movie. Do you remember the name? I can't find it. This is the first time I sent anyone a message outside of friends and family. I'm sending this note, but uh, thanks for all the information. You're very good at what you do. Be great to hear you back when you uh, are back from California. Stay safe, Steve. Well, Steve, man, it is my honor and it is a privilege to keep you uh, company while you are engaged in the very necessary transport of goods, my friend. You are a soldier of capitalism out there on the highways. So thank you for what you do and uh, and stay safe on the road. Um, as to the movie, yes, it was called Primal Rage. And now let me say that it is very graphic, okay? So do not repeat, do not try to watch this one with the kids or let any kids watch it. There is a scene in the movie that is about as graphic as some of the stuff you see in The Hills Have Eyes. So for those of you who know what I'm talking about, it was disturbing, that said, if you're an adult, if you're 18 plus and you want to see, it's really a Sasquatch horror movie. It's not a Sasquatch thriller movie because there's a lot of gore and violence. And I will say the acting from the human beings is pretty terrible, but it's well it's well shot. The they, they film it in the right place in the Pacific Northwest. The backdrops look cool. And the Sasquatch is really scary. So, uh, you know, I, I think I think it's worth a watch. But just remember, I told you, it is very violent. I mean, like, stomach-curdling violent. And uh, it also has at least one scene of of uh, violence that I, I was like, come on, you can't do, you can't do, can't show that. I just think that there's room for a great Sasquatch movie out there that's a little less heavy-handed on the gore and a little more into the backstory of the Squatch and, and all that stuff, so... Uh, I enjoyed it, but I was in the mood to watch a, I just, you know, sometimes you just want to watch a, a certain kind of movie on a certain kind of night. It was a, a cold, snowy night here in D.C., and man, I just wanted to watch some Squatch. So, Stephen, thanks so much for writing in. Michael writes, please compare and contrast AOC's run train comment and Trump's access Hollywood remark. Okay, Michael, I did not previously get into this uh, run train remarks. It's a very, uh, it's a very graphic one for people who know what it is. It is a reference to 
uh, essentially a group sex. Um, and, and I don't even know what the specifics are other than I know that it's something like that. Um, and, and AOC said this, I think that it maybe has multiple meanings. You know, it can be used for, he said for different things. Um, for example, you know what I'm not even going to say, but there's certain things like there's certain foods that I've eaten recently that I have only later found out are also can be a very, uh, dirty sexual reference, but it's a real food, but people were, and some of you will know what I'm talking about here. And some of you, I don't want to get into it. You know, I keep the show clean. I'm just saying AOC's run train comment was very, very strange. And I don't really know what she was going for there. But I'm also not that well-versed in the millennial urban vernacular of the day. That may be the nerdiest thing I've ever said on radio, but it's true. I'm not... In the 90s, man, I I could tell you, I I got all the 90s. I had all the 90s slang, which, by the way, was not limited to any one community. It was really the the pop culture youth were all saying, you know, that's, you know, yo, that's dope. That's ill. That's fat. That's all, all these different things that now, if I said them out loud... Some of you would start uh, chuckling at me, but this is the way that people talked when I was growing up. You know, that, that guy's such a player. Oh, that's so that's so dope. Oh, that's ill. That's that's the ill nana. That's, you know, what's up, home slice? People used to say home slice. I've said it a couple times on the show. I, I, that No one says it anymore. What's up, homie? People used to say what's up, homie, all the time. You know, the language is... I, so I don't know how the kids talk now. Uh, I'm, I'm getting too, I'm getting, I'm getting close to 40. I'm getting too old. I'm getting too old for that stuff. Uh, let's see here. Rita writes, oh man, Steve King is my rep. Why talk to the New York times at all? And why try to have a theoretical discussion with the enemy? Don't talk about anything to the New York times. No one makes any effort to understand what Steve meant. Why is Western civilization now evil? Not hard to understand. If you aren't determined to find wrongdoing, he's taken his lumps, but his career may be ruined. But he is not a racist. Shields high from Rita. Well, Rita, uh, they they certainly he said some things that I think were uh, were were unwise and 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 perhaps you you could honestly describe as 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 racist. Honestly, um, he's also said some things though that have been called racist that I think are not fairly called racist. So we have to talk about the specific comments. Uh, but I, I do think you're onto something when you say why try to have a theoretical discussion with the other side, meaning the New York Times on this. Because they are just looking to jam him up. All right, everybody, have a fantastic weekend. We will be on the air Monday. So if you're hanging out for the holiday, if you got the day off, make sure you tune in 6 to 9 Eastern. And uh, this weekend, you still owe me a late Christmas slash birthday present. Tell a friend to download the Buck Sexton show. The next time you're talking politics, be like, you know, you need to listen to this Buck Sexton guy. Talk to you all Monday. Have a great weekend. Shields high. You know what's smart? Figuring out who you need to hire to take your business to the next level in 2019. You know what else is smart? Starting the new year off strong by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. 
If you love this show, show your support to it and ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, for any job, any position you have open, this is how you want to hire. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire.